The Athletic. Once again to Pod on the Time, my name is Taylor Payne and this is another emergency edition of this podcast, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Uh, And it's happening because Stephen Roger Bruce, 60 years old of Corbridge, is no longer the manager of Newcastle United Football Club. As always, I'm joined by The Athletic's Newcastle United correspondent, Chris Woff, and our senior writer, George Colgan. Hello again, gentlemen. I didn't think I'd have to deal with you two knuckleheads again in the week, but here we are. Yeah, well, you see, you missed off. You missed. You were missing from the very end of the podcast. I know I was. Uh, that went up the other day, and you didn't hear my little outro, in which because I did say this will be the last podcast of the week, or will it? And here we are. Or will it? Here we mm. are. Forsooth, George, you have seen the future. Well done to you. How are you doing, Chris? Are you all right? Has it been a busy day? Yes, well, it's been a busy two weeks, as, as we already mm. discussed. But yeah, Newcastle United <laughs> suddenly is the the centre of the football universe in terms of in terms of news. It seems of interest, and uh, so yes, it has been it has been busy, but it wouldn't have it any other way. Chris and I spent most of yesterday going going through a piece which was sort of which has now gone up, which is uh, on the on the athletic site about sort of Steve Bruce and the end of Steve Bruce, and we have worked on that. Um, and gone through that about 95 times in the last six months. <laughs> but we did know this moment was coming. And yeah, Chris Chris was Chris was quite close to breaking point yesterday, I think. I'm not surprised. Yes, I was. I mean, the, 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 we st- that piece, we I mean, it's obviously been changed massively, but the first time we were asked to write a piece like that was after the Brighton game, even though the message obviously came out from the ownership that he wasn't going anywhere. Still, during that international break, I was tasked with at least starting that, and so George and I had, had started that piece, and then we've done various versions at various different points since. And I would never wish any, anyone to, to lose their position, but I, I cannot pretend that I am not relieved that that piece is now finally <laughs> gone and it's finally out there, if only for those selfish reasons. That's fair enough, Chris. Uh, well, we'll we'll dig into this and we'll get into it in a, in a bit more detail. But I mean, what I w- what I will say is it's been quite refreshing today. We've had three uh, bouts of communication from the club, which is unheard of, really, isn't it? And and one of those uh, communications was about the fan who took ill on the uh, during the Spurs game on Sunday to say that. Uh, he's uh, starting to recover and he's in hospital. Uh, he's up and about and walking and communicating and he's being kept in for observation. But that's fantastic news, isn't it, chaps? After after the scenes on Sunday, to hear that that fan is doing okay uh, and, you know, again, hats off, go to the, the people who helped him in the ground at the time. Certainly, it's it's wonderful news. I mean, Newcastle United released a statement and it confirmed the name of the supporter as well. So it was Alan George Smith, who was, it was a, an 80-year-old um, and yes, he's he's up and about in hospital. He's improving, hopefully. And uh, actually, this week I also went and met one of the the doctors involved, who was a fan watching watching the game. Matthew Anderson. He, uh, along with uh, several others, there was plenty involved. Ruth McDonald, retired nurse. Joe Cosgrove, a doctor. 
And then um, there was also, I mean, there was also Tom Pritchard, who obviously has done a lot of uh, social media this week as well. There was lots of people involved in helping uh, that fan receive the medical attention that he needed. And just, just wonderful how quickly people reacted and just fingers crossed he continues his recovery in hospital. Fantastic news, yes. So let's move on uh, and we'll get into the meat of what's happened today. It's finally happened. Uh, Steve Bruce has left his post and parted company with Newcastle United due to mutual consent. Uh, George, what exactly does mutual consent mean in this uh, in this instance? Well, it means that everybody agrees it's the right decision, um, uh, put simply, and and everybody does. I mean, I think um, I think uh, when Steve Bruce met uh, Amanda Staveley and Midad Gadusi last week, I think he he did explain to them how difficult it was, and that it might be in everybody's best best interest if he went. And I think you know, I think everybody knows that they knew that. It's been pointing to this from the first day, uh, you know, and really a long time before. Um, and it's just been it's just really been about getting to that point it means you know he's not been sacked um which i suppose um is nice is nice for him uh people have been you know calling up on him to sort of walk away for the good of the club and so this you know this sort of illustrates the fact that he recognized uh really that his position was was untenable which it was and it means that they've reached the settlement on you know, in terms of his his contract as well, so that's not going to be a drawn out a drawn out affair. You would have think you would think so. You know, you know, as Chris Chris and I have written, it sort of ends with a sort of tone of reconciliation and him being thanked. And I think that's really the best he he could have sort of hoped for. Uh, you know, at this moment, but it's it's better for everybody that it ends this way um, because. You know, one of the worst things about, you know, what, the best thing about last weekend was how it felt like something new and dramatic and exciting, certainly before the kickoff and for the first 10 minutes. The most disappointing thing about it was that by the end of the game, it felt, you know, although those things lingered, it also felt very familiar and very sort of wearing and tiring. This this really is the, the, the start of a new era now. They have taken their first big decision and um, it, it will lift everything. And again, that, that's not meant as a reflection on Steve Bruce himself, but it just had to happen. It had to happen for everybody's sake. Chris, there's been some criticism of the time it's taken for this decision to, to take place and, and the fans feeling it's been slightly drawn out and that maybe he's, he shouldn't have been in the dugout on Sunday. Do, is there any background on that and why that's taken so long and why we've gotten to this point? Well, I think that that criticism is understandable. Also, the fact that, I mean, we're going to get on this in a bit, but also the fact that now Graham Jones is in interim charge as well. And that's curious because of the fact that part of the reason why this seems to have have become sort of uh, stuck above the the owners who are on the ground, and by that I sort of mean Amanda Staveley, Jamie Rubin, Mia Dagadusi, who I think would have maybe liked to make the decision slightly earlier on, is as we've explained on the previous podcast, it went through to to PIF in, in Saudi Arabia, and they seemingly didn't want to make the decision as swiftly. They wanted to know more of what the succession plan was going to be. Why would they sack a manager and then not have another manager in place? Um, and also just in general that that sort of lack of maybe of availability of potential options. And so it it, it given the pace that the takeover ended up happening in the end. I know it dragged on for eighteen months, but the speed at which it actually got concluded really took everyone by surprise. And so there was wasn't that sort of manager in place. The idea that they wanted, as we've said many times before, Rafa Benitez was the ideal candidate. There was a time in the summer where they hoped that that might have happened and that, that all those sort of timelines would have converged, but that didn't happen. And so instead, 
uh, they came in, they had Steve Bruce in post, um, and I, I think basically some elements of the consortium wanted to take the decision, but it became sort of bogged down above them, and that's why he was still there on Sunday. And really, in hindsight, I think that they may look at it and think that they should have made that decision sooner because, as George said, it just felt like a sort of hangover from the Mike Ashley era, did, which yeah. could have which could have sort of been sorted out before then. And and fa- the, the the final decision. Um, or, or shall I say, the button was pressed on that decision finally um, in London on Monday night when uh, Amanda Staverley. Well, really, it was the it was the, kind of the club's first board meeting, really, and um, that was when the that was when the final decision was was actually taken, is what I'm told. Right. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, it's it, you would like to hope that those decision making processes would be streamlined and would be made quicker as as the structure of the club and the the infrastructure behind the owners is is put into place. So you would hope that further down the line, those kind of big football decisions wouldn't take as long as this. Um, interesting. Graham Jones taking charge. We mentioned there, Chris interim in the the statement that the club put out rather than caretaker. Um, wordplay or is that is that significant? Well, we understand that at least at some point last week, one of the ideas floated from some members of the consortium was the idea that maybe they would look to an interim manager going forward. And that is because of all the reasons I mentioned previously, maybe the lack of availability of of other managers that may want on a more permanent basis. Um, Also, the fact that really... Uh, Graham Jones already knows the club. He understands what's there. He could maybe um, get, get a bit of an uplift in players. I mean, I've spoken to, to to sort of sources close to players over the course of the last few months, and they they've made the point that they believed that if Steve Bruce had had been dismissed under Mike Ashy, that you would have seen an uplift in form from the players just on the basis that, that Steve Bruce had been gone and that some elements of the dressing room didn't want to be there and Jones had the respect of them. Now that theory is going to be tested this weekend because Graham Jones is going to be in charge at least for the Palace game. That is what it says on, on the club website. That's what the official version says. But whether interim is is a caretaker, whether it becomes more significant going forward, I think partly depends both on Graham Jones's success in the dugout in terms of whether he buys the consortium more time to be able to think about what they want to do going forward, whether it's they want a sporting director or whatever model in place first before they actually decide on a manager, whether they think that they can go a little bit longer, or but also basically how, how their continued search for a manager goes. If they get closer to appointing someone they believe fits what they want for the next manager in the club, then that maybe makes uh, Graham Jones's lifespan as, as, as interim head coach uh, shorter over time. And as far as a permanent replacement goes, George, I mean, obviously this is the question that's on everybody's lips now and rumours are abound. Is there a, is there a short list? Is there a working list? Is there a time frame on this? Or is this just going to be a wait and see and, and, and get the right person? Well, those are all the right questions, but um, kind of you don't have a, any of the answers. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have some. I have some of the. I have some of the answers, but I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about before: the decision-making process. Who will take the final decision? What they're looking for. So, you know, that the the, the business there that Chris mentioned about interim uh, manager that was something that was floated last week, as he says. At the same time, you know, we I've heard from a kind of very senior source that. Ideally, they would like to have somebody in place within the next kind of couple of weeks, certainly, you know, perhaps by the international break. But the way the decision for for Bruce to leave took place took a very, very long time. And so, you know, are they in that position? When you ask me about lists and shortlists, well, yeah, there there was a list of names circulated right at the very start after the takeover had gone through. Um, um, And... um, 
you know, some of those names I'm sure have appeared in the public domain. A lot of the people they that they've been speaking to or have spoken to or have also emerged since then haven't been, you know, sorry, weren't on that list. So, um, and you, we also have to understand that with these, with the different strands of ownership, they're all being bombarded now um, by agents, by people purporting to represent people, all this sort of stuff. I think that's been, I think that's been a big sort of characteristic of it. And they all have their own, you know, they all have their own ideas. We know, for example, that Eddie Howe has been discussed uh, informally uh, by members of the consortium. We also know know that other people involved um, uh, would would suggest that's not a good idea because of what happened at Bournemouth and the position that Newcastle are in. You can go through names like this. You know, we know that Fonseca has been spoke, spoken to um, and people close to him have been spoken to a while ago. And I know his name has emerged again today. Perhaps they will speak to him again. Um, again, others others who, who who have kind of looked at the situation internally would say that perhaps his de- defensive record at Roma is not exactly what Newcastle need now with their defensive record. So there's lots of these things. And, you know, Chris, Chris and I are sort of... I mean, the, the, the the whole system really was was kind of based around Rafa Benitez, and I don't mean that. I'm not saying that he was their only thought, but we know that he was top of the list four years ago. He was actually named in Amanda Staveley's bids to buy the club, renegotiate you know renegotiating his contract. And there have been moments over the last eighteen months and before then when they thought that everything might align and he might be there. Because when you look at what Newcastle need at the moment, you know we. They need so many different things. They need, first of all, they need someone to get them out of the bloody relegation zone. You know, they need yeah. that. So they need a firefighter. They need, yeah. yeah. So they need someone who can give them a jolt. But they also need somebody who can build the club. And by that, we're talking about building up the table, but also looking at infrastructure, looking at the training ground, looking at the academy, things that Benitez uh, was always interested in and has done before. And then finally, 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 They've told us what the end end game is because they said on they said on day one the idea is within five to ten years to win the Premier League and maybe the Champions League. So they want so Benitez ticked all of those boxes and he also ticked the other very very important box of knowing the club in the first place, knowing the fans, and crucially still knowing a lot of the players. So it makes so is there another Benitez out there? I don't know. I don't know if there is. I mean, it's like in some ways that's four or five. I mean, Eddie Howe isn't all of those things. He certainly helped build, uh, you know, Bournemouth did a great job there, but doesn't tick the get out of the relegation zone box, perhaps, doesn't build the win thing box. And really, maybe it'll take more than one manager to get to that point. But it makes it makes what happens next really, really complicated, but also very interesting. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay. 
various official statements and interviews and stuff that have come out in the press today as well. Um, Steve Bruce uh, was uh, was included in the Newcastle United official statement. Uh, he thanked his coaching team, he thanked the players and the support staff uh, for the hard work. He, just, he talked about the highs and lows uh, and he said that they should all be proud of their efforts. He went on to state uh, that this is a club with incredible support uh, and he wanted the new owners to take it forward and be all it could be. Uh, he wished everybody the best of luck for the rest of the season and beyond. Uh, and then some further comments which came in the Telegraph uh, interview he did. Uh, he said he, he thinks that this might be his last job, but it's been very, very tough to never really be wanted, to feel that people wanted me to fail and saying I would fail. Uh, those are quotes. Uh, uh, he, put, he also quoted insults directed to him um, or via social media and various other places. This is an interesting one, this, Chris, because as a, as a fan, I read that, and I think, Steve, nobody wanted you to fail. Nobody wanted you to fail. I think a lot of people maybe expected you do, um, and a lot of people thought they could see this coming, but I don't think anybody who was a Newcastle United supporter wanted him to fail. What do you think, Chris? No, I'd agree with that. I do think that there was some opposition to him from the very start, though, and some people never really accepted him, and I think that that maybe has been overlooked a little bit. Um, results sort of maybe justified those opinions, those preconceived ideas that people had of him. I mean, George wrote a piece quite early on during his first season in terms of talking about those insults where Bruce had been referred to as a clown and clueless and all these sorts of mm. things on social media. Yeah. Um, and obviously he now has reached the mark of a, it's a thousand and out from essentially Newcastle United. He reached that mark. He's talked about potentially retiring now. But no, I agree. I don't think I don't think it was that people wanted him to fail. Ultimately, Newcastle United fans want the team to be doing well and that would have required Steve Bruce to have succeeded. Um, there has been, as I say, certain quarters, certain elements who have always been opposed to him. I think that equally his comments, he hasn't really introduced himself or endeared himself enough to support us as we've discussed many times before. And also, unfortunately, the football for large parts was awful, even when it was winning to, to an extent, even when even there was enough positive results, certainly during that first season the football, it was difficult to see how they were going to progress and it always felt like short-termism and everything about Steve Bruce's reign, the whole two, he was there for two years and four months, but equally it always felt like it was just a few weeks away from disaster because there was never a, sh never a long-term plan seemingly, never a long-term formation, never a long-term idea of the direction the club was heading and that was partly, well largely my gosh, he's felt largely the club's fault in terms of there, there was no ambition other than to really bridge the gap between uh, regimes but equally Steve Bruce never was able to shake off that tag of just be seemingly as some fans saw him being Mike Ashley's yes man. And coming in on top of that I mean I think the other thing to say is that it wasn't him but it was what he represented and you know there was that there was that thought that after sort of two or three years of hope under Benitez that this was a reversion it was a reversion to the bad old days under, under Mike Ashley and really that is what it turned out you know that is what it turned out to be 10,000 people immediately walked away from the club and Steve's I mean I think I think I think where he got it wrong is as as Chris said he wasn't able to to change that story the football had a massive well the football was the big part of that but I think perhaps you know maybe because of 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 lockdown and the pandemic and stuff like that everybody was withdrawn you know to to being online and so this idea of kind of abuse and this idea of everyone being unhappy 
that was the only way that we experienced Newcastle for those for those very long months. We saw this terrible saw this terrible football, and we all expressed our frustration and anger on social media. He was made aware of it, and it became. We didn't have the stadium to sort of calm people down and to, uh, you know, to act as that sort of ultimate barometer on, on, on where things are and how things are how things are doing. And that is a source of regret. He the reason he came back to Newcastle was to manage in front of 52,000 people. I mean, in actual fact, it might have made things much worse, much quicker. I, I was going to say, but, do you, but, George, do you but, think he would have kept his job as long if the stadium had been full for those two years? I don't know whether he would have done or not. I don't think Mike Ashley would have given a toss what people in the stadium thought. But but we, we, we all had this kind of very, very strange existence. But in terms of the abuse, yes, supporters have been calling on him to go inside the stadium this season. But... You know that's not been. I don't. I don't think that's been. A, I don't think that's been vile. I don't think that's been unpleasant. I think that's been a reflection of the football and a reflection of the fact that Newcastle haven't won. You know, sort of haven't haven't won a game. I would hate. I mean, I would hate for there to be this sort of narrative moving forward that this is that this is part of, you know, Newcastle fans' fault that this is. You know that. People would have accepted him. People would have accepted Steve Bruce. That seems to be what's yeah. happening today. I've read it on a number of occasions already. You know, this is a good man who did a good job and Newcastle fans have hounded him out. That 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 is exactly one thing I read today on, on social media from a journalist. And, you know, whether whether we like it or not, we might, we might not want that to be part of the story going forward, but that's what seems to be the case. And, I mean, Steve, 30, 37 games or 38 games and seven wins... To anyone, that is relegation form, and that is sacking form. That is, you know, it's it simply wasn't good enough, and that's why he's been. That's why he's not able to continue with his job. It's nothing to do with him as a man, or or the or, you know the the way fans feel towards him or anything like that. It just wasn't good enough. It just wasn't good enough from day one. Yeah, the the issue I think that there's been in certain quarters, certainly over the last 18 months is that the abuse which he has unfortunately received on social media and elsewhere has also been conflated with criticism and valid criticism footballing wise mm-hmm. and of yeah. performances and I think that that's, that's the issue with, with some of the sort of outside looking in at, at Newcastle and this is the frustration I have not just with Newcastle but the way that all clubs can be covered in a certain way is that if you're not in there, if you haven't listened to, to why fans feel so, if you don't watch them every week then maybe you should look and think why, why do fans actually feel like that about Steve Bruce why, why are they so frustrated about the football and there have been a lot of valid reasons not beyond just the results, also the performance performances, the way that the defence has become at times shambolic this season, the way that, as we've said, there isn't really an identity, there's no idea, there doesn't seem to be a big idea of the direction Newcastle are heading in. And these are all the footballing, valid footballing reasons and frustrations. And and Steve Bruce came out and he and he, he, he said at, at various points, I, I, accept, I accept criticism, but then when that criticism came, he never seemed to be able to accept it. And then it became conflated yeah. between the two. And that is the frustration is that there was no line between the two. There is a definite line and some people definitely went beyond it. There is no doubt about that. And, and, and yeah, that is unacceptable. Absolutely. But I also think that there is a wider point where the criticism was valid. Yeah, of course. And I, I, I suppose the, the thing I kind of mean is like when he, when he had a go at mass hysteria and keyboard warriors and and things like that histrionics histrionics he was referring to everybody because at that point that's all everybody was you know because all we had at that point was twitter all we had was a way of expressing our feelings there and yeah i i mean and and so it it was life in an echo chamber and i, I it was it was rubbish you know the football was rubbish the football was rubbish 
the existence was rubbish that we were all going through at that time. And Newcastle, you know, Newcastle did not bring us joy in a moment when football was supposed to bring us joy. And that's a really harsh thing to say, but but it, it didn't. It was very difficult. And so they almost contributed to that difficulty. And and so this echo chamber exist, existence was all we had. But I suppose the thing is, it's like if I'm only talking about my existence, if I'm only talking about my existence on Twitter then I would feel that I'm not wanted. And I would feel, because I can get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm just, I'm making a kind of lighthearted point. But if, if that's the only thing that you, you, you base your life on, then, you know, I'm being called a twat five times a day by some people at the moment. Um, Usually by so Chris. So it's just, and it's mainly Chris and you, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but there is, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's really tough. I don't think the, I don't think the abuse thing, however, stands up if what you're talking about is Newcastle United as a as a as a as a sort of breathing institution on match day the the noises that we've heard coming out from away ends and home ends this season has has been absolutely valid and has been a very very fair reflection on the football that we've seen and the results that we've seen Absolutely. Um, Alan Samaxman took to Twitter as well this afternoon uh, and he said, you are without a doubt one of the most gentle people I have ever met in the world. You have been a man of your word, a caring man and a fair man who never hesitated to protect us. I will never forget how you treated me and for that I will be forever grateful. Interesting words from Sir Maximan, who at times has had his, well, reportedly, had his phones out with Steve Bruce. Um, but, you know, nice words from him about a guy who, who he's worked with for a couple of years now, calls him one of the most gentle people he's ever met in the world. It, 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 it's a lot. There's a lot of digest here, isn't there? There's there's a lot of feelings, Chris. Yeah, and, and I think that that is what, certainly early on during Steve Bruce's time. I mean, he arrived as someone who was renowned for his man management, and certainly early on with a large part of the players, that's what they saw. He, he is a personable guy he is with with everyone really i mean it, it obviously deteriorated significantly in the end with uh with reporters or at least some reporters and the way that press conference was conducted over zoom and the like but really he is someone who a lot of the players he puts his arms around their shoulder he does speak to them individually and i think for someone like alan sat maximan that re- that really suited him he he almost gave uh, alan sat maximan a bit of a a bit of a looser rein than he maybe he did with other individuals and, and sat maximan's a sort of complex character as i'm sure we're all aware and yeah sometimes he did have the odd sort of in quote unquote falling out with him and I think that sometimes it was maybe overbrown a little bit but that's just the, the sort of personality that Alan Sat Maximan is he is a bit of a he can be a bit of, or previously has been a bit of a volatile personality he fell out with Patrick Vieira he fell out with Lucien Favreau obviously being linked with the Newcastle job and um and him and him and Steve Bruce, there was genuine affection there. Sam Maxman said it in an interview a few weeks ago where he said that he loves Steve Bruce. And then this is it was a very heartfelt message, and I think that it is to say it shows it shows at least from some quarters how how positively he was he was seen in the dressing room towards the end. But I think equally there were some players who who felt differently, and some players who felt that a change was necessary and had been necessary for a long while. And I'm going to contra- I'm going to contradict myself here by saying that um, Steve Bruce didn't provide joy. I mean, I think that's a probably fair assessment over the two and a bit years. But but the one you know the one player that that arguably has is is Alan San Maxima. And so yes, they have been very kind of sporadic moments. But he you know particularly this, this very start of the season, particularly playing in that role that he has, he has been someone that's provided us uh, with 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 joy playing under Steve mm. Bruce so so yeah. yeah important to acknowledge that yes of course George uh, a lot of digest uh, like I said to Chris but what is what is Steve Bruce's legacy George well so I, I think from the positive 
part of it. I mean, as as Chris said, it's that it's he did manage to bridge the gap ultimately between these two ownerships and. Uh, whether the takeover would have gone ahead if Newcastle had been relegated, I mean, I think you would have to doubt hugely. And um, he was manager during a very, very difficult time. I mean, the takeover being very much part of that, lingering on, giving Newcastle a taste of what might be and then disappearing. Uh, and of course, the pandemic itself when there weren't supporters and sort of trying to lead it and leading it when he received no, you know, no support externally from the people above him it has been very difficult but it's it's it won't be remembered it won't be remembered for anything good ultimately except perhaps i will go back to that first season when we all knew that we were seeing a bit of a mirage that that the results newcastle were getting weren't necessarily reflected in by the performances but there were still some good moments and i won't ever forget Goodison Park and being in the away end and that two nil two nil down and then two all uh, two all at the end and being part of that that was a great moment. You and I Taylor well and Chris but you and I Taylor were in the away end at West Brom when Newcastle uh, were going on that cup run. So there were some individual moments that were very very positive. But there was nothing last season. That's the thing. There was nothing last season because there was nobody there. So those moments stopped. You know those moments stopped being important anymore. There was there was never that sense. Oh, I'm in this moment where it's just the best thing ever because we weren't there. We we turned the television off or we turned the radio off. We closed our laptops, whatever, and it was gone. So none of that good stuff lingered, and there was just too much bad stuff. And then ultimately this season, it's only been bad stuff. And just quickly, Chris, before we finish up, because we're really pushed for time here, um, Steve mentioned in his in his interview with the Telegraph that this might be his last job. He might retire. Do do we believe him when he says it could be his last job? He didn't seem totally sold on that himself. Yeah, I mean, he, he sort of caveated that himself by saying that um, if a chairman rings him up and needs some help, then then maybe he would go go back into management. But he spoke about his his wife and he spoke about his family and sort of the strain on them over the last few years. And and, and we understand that at, at certain points, his, his family maybe sort of encouraged him to have actually left Newcastle previously, but he, but he but he hadn't wanted to. So, I mean, I I, gen- I generally don't know the answer. To that. He's sixty now. He's he's done a thousand games in management I think I've got a sneaking suspicion that maybe after six months or so off you might get that itchy feeling and and maybe in a championship job if there's a one perhaps closer to it to his Cheshire home maybe he will come back into management and go into that but but there is there is that possibility is that over the last few years we've seen a fair few coaches of a similar sort of generation the likes of of Sam Allardyce Tony Pulis not get as many jobs as maybe they did previously and maybe be looking towards that retirement sort of direction so maybe that's where Steve Bruce will head well there we go so Let's say goodbye to Steve Bruce in typical pod on the time fashion uh, and remembering this hilarious line. And it's important to remember here that Steve isn't the butt of the joke. Uh, He is actually a part of it. He was often quite funny in his press conference, albeit on this occasion, not intentionally. How's the bacon, did you say? (laughs) Still makes you smile. (laughs) The quote that birthed a thousand memes. God, we got some mileage out of that, didn't we? We did. I've still got. I've still got my T-shirt with him saying that on it. And I, 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 I know I've said this before. When before things, um, before things turned oh. sour, I did. I did get sent that. I got. I, I bought that T-shirt and I, um, I took a picture of myself wearing it. I sent him a copy of that picture. It, it was. It was in the. It was in the summer, and uh, he came back and just said, "Love it. Enjoy." Brilliant. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, there wasn't really a lot to enjoy by the end. 
There wasn't. But yes, it's a time for re- reconciliation now. It's a new era. It's time to move forward, including for him. Let's uh, let's wrap this up, chaps, eh? And for full coverage of this story and everything that's going on at Newcastle United right now, get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and subscribe to The Athletic with a 33% discount. That's a third off a new subscription price at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right, that is definitely it until next Tuesday. I don't want to hear a peep out of you two until then. Uh, thanks very much, George and Chris, uh, for going above and beyond. Uh, and thanks to you out there for your oral stamina. Mm. Until next week. Matron. Goodbye. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you dare. That was what was written down. So that's what I read. <clears throat> Um, www.oralstamina is not something you want to Google Uh, until next week goodbye from us all at Pod on the Time, cheers I've been in the right place but it must have been the wrong time I'd have said the right thing but it must have used the wrong line well I'd love to say it's been a, a, a lovely ride it's been difficult, but I think I've been the circumstance for a lot of frustration for a lot of years. The people of Newcastle want to see the club move forward. We're in a wonderful opportunity now. And all I've ever wanted was to make sure this great club of ours moves forward. Um, but that's going to take a little bit of time. Security. I've been in the wrong place, but it must have been the right time. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong song. I've been in the right place, but it seems like wrong. The Athletic.